Oh, I love that. What he does live. He says foist. Like, I want to make everyone think I'm really from New York. <laughs> I reject you foist. Hey, I'm walking over here. <laughs> Today, I'm from A to Ziggy. Fame. 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 Welcome to From A to Ziggy, the podcast where we talk about every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Travis. What's your name? And my name is Thomas. Um, Thanks for asking. <laughs> You, if you haven't noticed yet, we're talking about fame, which is very exciting because this is a massive, massive song. Bowie's first number one single in the U.S. Yeah, this is this is a biggie. And um, where to even begin? This is our third trip to Young Americans. That's a good question and one that I can uh, answer I, for you. I can tell you it's our second song off of Young Americans with some John Lennon involvement. Yes, yes, third altogether. Third altogether. Yeah, can you hear me as well? Yeah, where do you start with fame? Fame is one of the most iconic songs around. You start by declaring fame. You start by declaring does in the song. fame. So my first memory of this song, I remember being a like small child. Couldn't have been more than like first or second grade, probably. Listening to the classic rock radio, and this song weirded me out so much. What was it that weirded you out? I think it was initially just like the vocal effects. Fame, firm, firm, like that. At the end. Yeah. It was just impossibly descending. It was just very strange to me. This song took a little while to grow on me. I, I don't know if you've had the same problem as I have had personally as a music listener. When when you're young, you tend to want quote unquote rock music to fit into a box of what you think rock music sounds like. So from the time I was in young elementary school, from the time I was a young American until I was, you know, in my early teens, probably rock and roll music to me sounded like Led Zeppelin. It sounded like the Beatles. It sounded like, you know, the stuff that I was getting into, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, like loud guitars and, I guess I, I should also admit that I was also watching a lot of MTV at the time, so I'm a liar if I omit any of the like, schlocky hair metal because I was also <laughs> around that a lot. So that was also what my rock and roll box was, was just like straightforward, guitars, bass, drums, loud, blah, rock and roll. And this song and most of this era Bowie didn't resonate with me so much because it didn't fit into the box. It's not until you get older and you're like, oh, no, rock and roll does not fit into a box at all. You can have Um, a Plastic Soul, Blue-Eyed Soul album that's also a rock album. So if you're trying to put rock and roll into a box, you basically have like the beginning of Jurassic Park when they're trying to like load the raptor in. (laughs) Rock and roll is that raptor. You can't keep it in the box. It's going to try and kill a docker. Like, that's just how it is. (laughs) So it wasn't until I got a little bit older and I was like, oh, yeah, this, this song is actually quite amazing. This, this is a great, great, great song. Uh, yeah, again, yeah, I'm having, right? I can't decide where to start. So I maybe even be reading into this song more than Bowie even intended to. Go for it. That's what this is all about. So this song, it basically just feels like it came out, what, this was 75? Yeah. So we're hitting that age of disco and, you know, the, the pop radio machine was really... It was that, like, era of glossy, big, dumb pop music. And this song is just why being famous is horrible. And it's just very, like, uh, fame. And the music is very, it's it's funky, but it's very methodical. Hmm. And it just kind of conjures this vision of, like, a 
disco pop music factory. Hmm. And like, like the downbeats are like the arms and legs being attached and like big machinery, like clapping together and like forging this famous pop star. Yeah. This huge assembly line with all the steam powered pistons and things. Yeah. Clamping down. Gloria Gaynor. Donna Summer. (laughs) Casey and the Sunshine Band. Like... (laughs) The fame machine. Yeah, it's got this massive soundstage, like uh, like the guitars are are panned left and right, and it, and it just it, it bombards you with these these really clipped sounds, these staccato kind of like funky yeah uh, guitar. And the parts that would normally be, whether it's a disco song or on other songs on this album, where you're accenting lines and things with blaring horns, instead you just have this like filthy distorted guitar it's like you know something he had left over from the ziggy days yeah yeah that's a good point it's like uh are there any horns there are no horns on this song what about all of the rest of young americans are there horns in any of those songs uh on young americans um oh yeah there's the saxophone saxophone. i feel like there's some horns on uh blanking on the name the other one we talked about there can you hear me can you hear me uh, I feel like there's some kind of like smooth. No, I was just asking. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I think, I think my ears are taking it right. I th- <laughs> yeah. So it's this this song just feels like this big, long, sarcastic piss take at the fame. At yeah. The, uh, the pop music game. Yeah. Well, both Bowie and John Lennon. We have we mentioned yet? This was this is co-written by John Lennon. We alluded, but didn't talk about. And Carlos Alomar. Yeah. Uh, well, both he and Lennon were sort of processing shall we say their uh disaffection at their their managers for as far as uh john lennon i don't know i don't know anything about his his uh history but i read he had a bad experience with alan klein yeah he duped him out of a bunch of money and of course tony defreeze the uh mastermind behind the whole main man empire was running up bowie's tab on all kinds of expenses the limos and all that the entourage and the events and all that stuff it was all coming out straight out of Bowie's pocket, unbeknownst to Bowie. So this is his, it's more than a piss take. It's just, it's absolutely angry. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think this is the perspective of fame from someone who wanted to get famous, right? Bowie was striving for, you know, from when he was a teenager to be a star. And then you become famous and you can't, take it back. You can't become, unf- I mean, you can, you can fall out of favor. You know, people have their 15 minutes, but yeah. you can't undo your notoriety. And so you can't, even if you do lose like the, I don't know, what am I trying to say? This whole, this whole fame rock star lifestyle, once you've, you've got it the paparazzi, the media, the interviews, the, all the, all these things become annoyances. And so I guess Bowie and Lennon both dealt with that. Which like, a lot of people, it's it's very easy. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play devil's advocate for famous people, because <laughs> there is every time someone who's achieved a level of fame complains about fame, you just kind of like roll your eyes, like, uh, well, I mean, then just stop being famous, stop oh. doing things to make you famous. Oh, poor you! All the money, I can't. If anyone complains about like, oh, I've got too much money, it's like, uh, I'm sorry, um, but fame I get. Because we live in a small neighborhood, so like you run into people a lot, and there are days you're just like, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I just want to like go and like grab a coffee and not talk to any people. I don't want to deal with people. And when you're famous, you don't get any of those days. Like you really gotta be trying hard not to be noticed or talked to. Yeah. And I feel like, especially in like the music game, the kind of people that become artists are 
generally pretty introverted people, at least on some level, maybe not on stage, but in their personal life. Hmm. And if you're someone who already hates having to talk to people and then you just get bombarded with people wanting to talk to you all the time, you're going to get pretty sick of it. And that's like, and it, like it would, it would suck to be someone who's like, this is my one time I've run into David Bowie. I'm going to say hi to David Bowie, but you're like the 600th person who's been like, Oh my God, Dave Bowie today. Like, like it sucks if he's like, go away kid. But yeah. like, you have to get it. Yeah. That's why you never, you never approach famous people on the street. Yeah. You're just going to get, it's always, it's almost going to catch him at a bad time. You. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the funny thing that is speaking of being like, like local famous, um, there's been a couple occasions where I've been like out in JP and I've had someone kind of looking at me like, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And they're like, uh, they'll start, well, you know, we'll start talking and they're like, I've seen you somewhere, but I can't place it. And then I'm like, oh, you know, like sometimes I play like Trace Gatos or like I've done some storytelling shows and some comedy shows in the area. And they're like, oh, no, JP Licks, right? You used to work at JP Licks. <laughs> Why even try to be artistic? They only remember you for your coffee. That's that's the price of fame. That's the price of fame. You can never move past that that first. It's like, <laughs> right? it's like that that first that first uh, that first coffee job is your Citizen Kane. <laughs> You can make all the magnificent Ambersons you want. Like, <laughs> all people are going to remember I'll you for <laughs> So, fame. Speaking fame. of fame, yeah, fame. Uh, this this is the song. This was like a self fulfilling prophecy yeah. in the form of a song. He finally sort of fulfilled his mission of coming to the U.S., playing Philly, uh, recording at Sigma Sound, and making a, an album that Americans would want to. Because uh, America wasn't really going for the whole glam thing. So shift gears, right angle turn, and you've got Young Americans comes out. Fame's put out as as a single. Bam, number one in the U.S. Um, not as successful in the U.K. I think it reached um, 17 or something. Yeah, number 17. That sort of perfectly points to the difference between in taste between the two countries, which is it's weird because it's more homogenized now. Like... Pop is more like it's what's popular here is popular there, I think. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have my finger on the pulse. Yeah, I think it is a little bit more homogenized now. I, it, it does feel like what there's just like one like pop overlord that tells everyone this is popular now. And everyone's like, OK, yeah, the fame machine, the fame machine. Whereas back then, like if it got sent over here and we were like, meh, it just it just never took off. Yeah. Um, Glam rock and the metric system. So there's a story behind this song, and it's different depending on who you ask. But one thing that everyone agrees on is that it stemmed from Bowie and Band's uh, experiments playing foot stomping. The old classic from the Flares, foot stomping. Yeah, they were playing it on tour. Carlos Alomar came up with a sort of funkier guitar setting for it to be embedded in. And so that became the main riff that we hear on Fame. Everybody's young and old knows how to rock and roll. Listen to something new. Everybody's shocking the Stop it, 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 stop it
story is they had recorded Foot Stompin', and they didn't like the way it sounded. I think Carlos Alomar described it as just a plain old stupid rock song. So Bowie took the recording, he had the drums and the guitar, and he sort of disassembled it, did some cut and paste stuff, going back to his uh, Burroughs sort of influence. Cut it and cut and paste it and made it sort of fit into a different structure. And it became sort of the skeleton of the song it is now. And then Lennon showed up. Uh, let me just drop in. Is it any this is pretty colossal meeting of, of two minds. Yeah. Two rock giants. Just happened to be in the same studio at the same time. Working on the song. You want to come work on this song I'm working on? Sure. I guess the story is Bowie lured Lennon in uh, by telling him that they were recording uh, Across the Universe. And did you want to come in and uh, play a little on uh, on your own song? So he said, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Because he was, he was in town recording his... Uh, speaking of covering old rock songs, uh, rock and roll, the covers album. So he comes in and he, he plays on Across the Universe and he, he stays for fame while they're, and they're writing it in the studio as they go and, and he, yeah, I guess he picks up some the acoustic guitar he plays a little bit of piano and he's there's different versions of the story about how he makes some kind of sound and, it, and David Bowie's sure it sounds like it's, he's saying fame okay that's what this song is it's fame um but apparently it was like he was just making a noise with his... He was either saying, I'm... That's that's one story I read. It's, I'm. It sounds like he's about to say something, but he doesn't... Yeah. It's like, I'm... I'm... Sort of like he's trying to think of... <laughs> of something aim. to say. Aim. Just aim. Yeah. yeah, and so Bowie puts an F in front. And it becomes fame. Oh, yeah, it's definitely fame. So there's Carlos Alomar. There's Bowie. There's Lennon. They all sort of contributed to writing this thing as it evolved from one song into another. Uh, Bowie brings John Lennon in, partly as a ploy, apparently, to have some have some credence behind his move from splitting with Tony DeFries and helping encourage RCA to like put some money behind this project. Let's talk about Bowie and Lennon, how they met. Uh, Bowie was obviously a fan of the Beatles. Yeah. That's not entirely obvious, I guess. Well, it's... I mean, who so was it? Um, yeah, I mean, anyone with a heart in their chest likes the Beatles. They were actually introduced by a mutual friend, Elizabeth Taylor. Well. And then Bowie invited him over to a party. The story is that he invited Lennon and his girlfriend over, and they sort of ignored each other for several hours. And then they started talking about something, some some dour stuff, like the meaning of life and what, what it's all about. What is God? <laughs> And just wound up staring at the floor dejectedly until the end of the party. <laughs> that is the most John Lennon story. Just <laughs> refusing to talk to someone and then breaking the ice by talking about like the futility of living <laughs> and staring at the ground for the next six hours. So they become fast friends. And in New York, they spend some time together. And eventually Bowie calls him down to work on these songs. Um, kind of unnecessarily because uh, they've already finished recording. And Tony Visconti's in London mixing and working on the final overdubs. And then he suddenly got these two new songs and had to add them to the album that he had already finished. So uh, the Gouster, as it was called, is, is all ready to go. All, all the tracks are in sequence, everything's mixed, and then he gets these two songs, Fame and Across the Universe. And he's got to scrap the whole thing. Just that must not have been frustrating at all. That early version of uh, Young Americans is pretty interesting. 
the Gauster. Did you ever hear it? No. It's a different sequence, and it's got different songs. Obviously, Fame and Across the Universe aren't on there, but they're, it's got the outtakes. And it, it starts with John, I'm Only Dancing again, the disco version of... And I guess Fame sort of replaced that song as like the big dance single. So he wanted something funky, something that you could play in dance clubs. And it was going to be John, I'm Only Dancing, but I guess he decided this one was better. Which is strange, because... Apparently later on, Bowie didn't really like the song that much. He felt it was not the best song on the album. Yeah. Although he kept on playing it live. That's almost become like a rock and roll cliche too. What's that? If you've watched enough like behind the music, the song that ends up being like the big single that, you know, shoots to the top of the charts ends up being something that was either like a last minute addition, like, oh, we weren't going to do this song, but then like last minute we decided to throw it on there. Or it's a song they were like, we don't want to put it on here, but the label's like, no, this is a good song. And then they were like, we hate this song. There's so many. I feel like I've heard this story so many times I can't even think of like. Uh, the two that pop into my head the quickest would be like Creep with Radiohead. Oh, yeah. And from more of a like, oh, this is a last minute. We had no intention of doing this. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge. So Radiohead hates doing Hates doing Creep. creep. But Bowie never really complained about playing this one it seems i mean he played it on basically every right up every through the 2000s ever. yeah and when yeah. you watch videos and playing it it looks like he's having fun oh but bowie always looks like he's having fun i have one last note and it's that the uh the repeating fame the descending fame 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 it's uh it follows the same sort of pattern apparently i read this i didn't come up with this so i don't take the <laughs> i'm not going to take any of the blame or the credit um it follows the same descending bassoon pattern in a song we'll get to, Laughing Gnome. That that at the beginning it's bum 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 bum. Fame 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 fame. I was walking. That that's a fun fact. Yeah, apparently he reused it more than once. It's like the last gasping. It's like the ghost or the corpse of, of Laughing Gnome is, is trying to crawl out and get into other songs. I don't know. I have this nightmarish vision of what... Deep-seated gnome fear. I'm afraid of gnomes. Covers. Covers. There's quite a few. It's been covered. It's been sampled. It's been yeah. remixed. So I've never heard, I've never heard that Lady Gaga song before. So the, the, the Gaga song is Fancy Pants, which is a great name for a song. <laughs> uh, we've got Jay-Z, Takeover, House of Pain, Shamrocks and Shenanigans, Boom, sh- in, in parentheses, Boom, Shalaklak. Oh, God. I think I kind of remember that song, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go back and listen to that. Because I don't mm-hmm. think I really, I, I, the time where I knew House of Pain, I probably wouldn't have picked up on the Bowie sample as, as quickly. Yeah, as, back in the. Back in 92. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, covered by Infectious Grooves, which is a metal funk band. There's a clashing of genres that I never... Oh, yeah, that was that was definitely a thing for a while. 93 kind of thing. Yeah. I'm thinking kind late, of like White Zombie. Early to late kind of 90s kind of thing. Um, James Brown basically covered this song. He called it Hot. It was called Hot. Different song, but it's it sort of reuses a lot of the, the elements of this song. It was so similar, Bowie told... Carlos Alomar, I think it was. He, he said, "If it, if it charts, we'll sue him." <laughs> oh, no. 
He wasn't too worried if it didn't, and I guess lucky for James Brown. This is this is so typical. This is so like unfair and typical of James Brown, but it, it didn't chart, and uh, I don't know. It just seems so unfair uh, for James Brown. Like he, he's been sampled by all these like. There are probably more songs that sample James Brown than he ever recorded, and he never really gets the credit for those samples. And then here he goes. He can cover a David Bowie song essentially, and uh, I think it's fair enough that he can get away with it. Yeah. Um, Bowie. As much as we hold Bowie up on a pedestal here at from A to Ziggy Studios, uh, yeah, James Brown. He he deserves respect. He deserves a lot of respect that he never really got. Um, that's what I've got to say about that. Mm. That's that's my hot take. <laughs> that's, your, that's your hot hot take. Yeah. Oh, and I, I had noticed some... some uh, there's a Gary Newman song. I know there's a couple of Gary Newman songs. Back in 93, speaking of 93, the collision of metal and funk, Gary Newman was going through his uh, New Jack Swing period. <laughs> uh, that album, Machine and Soul, it's got a couple of songs that sort of quote fame. Is it any but... Uh, then there's Beck, Mixed Business. I never picked up on that before. I mean, it's sort of similar. It may not be intentional, although on that same album, there's uh, Deborah. Yeah. Right? We're talking about um, uh, Midnight, Midnight Vultures. Vultures. Yeah. Deborah's got an obvious riff on Win. Yeah. And I feel like the Mixed Business guitar line is kind of modeled after Carlos Alomar's riff. It kind here. of is like Beck's smart alecky Young Americans album. I was listening to <laughs> so I, I was listening to Midnight Vultures and Abby's not as familiar with that record. She likes Beck, but she as she is other Beck albums. Yeah, she walked in. Deborah was on when she when she came in, and she was positive I was listening to Flight of the Concords or something like that. <laughs> she's just like like how is this a serious song about like meeting someone at Chasey Penny and asking for, about a fresh pack of gum and. That is the magic of Beck, is he can be both serious and silly yeah. at the same time. That Oh, man, that might be my might be my favorite Beck album. That's I always a, go back and forth between that one and Odalay. It's a great album. It's so fantastic. Very slick. Uh, alternate versions. Here we go. Mm. With the oh, wait, no, I do have one more cover oh, I forgot about. Yeah. Um, there was one by uh, Scott Weiland from uh, Stone Temple Pilots. So he's someone that's always modeled himself after Bowie. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of Stone Temple Pilots, they think of like the first couple albums or more so the first album where it does kind of come off as like a lot of like aping Pearl Jam. But then the band kind of like starts leaning more into their like 70s influences and stuff. And like you definitely get a little bit of the, of, of the Bowie like kind of glam vibe from Scott Weiland. So I got my hopes up real high when I heard that he covered it. Yeah. Such a disappointment. So it was from his album Happy in Galoshes, uh, which was his last solo album. And it's a song that he had done with um, this DJ named Paul Oakenfold. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I've never really been a big like dance music guy. And like the idea of Scott Weiland finally covering David Bowie and then having it be like this totally sterile like dance track with him singing. Or, it was just heartbreaking to me. Um oh. I didn't get out of it what I wanted to get out of it. I was very disappointed. Hmm. What's your name? What's your name? 
Alternate versions. Alternate versions. So here we go. Yeah. This song has a long and storied history on the live sets. In 1990, there was the big Sound and Vision tour. Like, these were going to be the last times he was going to play his old hits. So he was bringing them out for one last time, and he brought out... There was a single to promote the whole thing. It was Fame 90. Yeah. It was basically... This was a thing that happened. What if we took this great song and just made it completely sterile and overproduced and slick? Yeah. This song falls into all of the trappings of bad, over-stylized early 90s pop with, like, the big drum machines... And um, I don't know what you call the effect where it just kind of repeats. It's like Max Hedrum. It's like, fame, fame, fame. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. You get your hands on a sampler and you just sort of start tapping it. Yeah. It's a big, dumb 90s pop song. So moving on, <laughs> he would play it in that style on the tour, too. Like, they would start it out in the normal way and then it would sort of morph into the fame 90 yeah. version. Uh, they did a similar thing on the Earthling tour. They, uh, Before we move on to the version on the Earthling tour, did you happen to listen to the Fame 90 with Queen Latifah? On oh, it? yeah. Okay. So it starts, like, her verse, the middle of it is actually pretty good. She gets flowing really nice, but the beginning and the end are just so schlocky and cheesy. Just like, yeah, I want to be famous. And like, I just, all I could think about was like when Will Smith writes raps about the movies he's in, where it's basically just like, take this thing and write a song about it. And then it's just bad. And then uh, at the end of the verse, oh, what is, it? what is it she says? It's something like, you know, like fame. Well, let's just do a running commentary on this. Right? <laughs> yeah, they redo the... They start out redoing the descending thing. Yeah. It's just sort of like a sample of it. Or be a star. Listen, though I strive for daily survival. I know the world awaits my arrival. Some say Latifa, do me a favor. Won't you sell us crack? Let's see a famous drug dealer. The hell with that meat. The queen condone the negative. No, it's obvious. I'm sure that's a problem a lot of rap artists encounter is, is being approached to sell cocaine. Can you sell some crack for us? Use your platform. To- <laughs> I know. She was like the most polite crack dealer. So. Being a white person from Connecticut, I know very little about the, like, drug dealing game, but the way, like, Jay-Z describes Slayin' Rock in Brooklyn versus Queen Latifah's version, it's, like, so different. Like, hey, pardon me, miss, would you like to sell some crack? <laughs> like, like, they're asking her if she wants to start selling essential oils or some sort of, like, you want to work for yourself? Let's put Latifah's brand on this, uh... On this, on this crack. Yeah. You can put it in Kmart. A famous crack dealer, please. That'll be the day. Did she just quote Cheers? Like a Cheers <laughs> thing? Everybody knows my name. I know the world awaits my arrival. Still the fame, it eludes me. The negative pursues me. Yeah, she doesn't seem as disillusioned with the whole fame thing. Like she seems yeah. like she still wants to. She's she's going for it. In other words, fame. That's the line. In other words, fame. Wait, I'm gonna say. Wait. So it's she exactly does it, the same word. She does this whole verse where she says fame a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> Under which David Bowie is also saying fame, like even more. And she pops it with, in other words, fame. <laughs> and Queen Latifah has done so many good things. Like, um, her, like so her big single was UNITY. Oh, yeah. Which was awesome. It's a great song. And it, it holds up even better now because um, it's kind of this like, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a woman who does rap, but I'm not a bitch or a hoe. Mm. It's like it really like throws the whole rap game on its ear. Right. Um, yeah, this this so Fame 90 is basically it's it's like when they reboot movies now, but it's basically just so they'll have like the effects that the movie couldn't have when it came out originally or something like that. Like, like when, Jurassic World, like Jurassic World. Like, even though the effects in Jurassic Park will probably hold up better than the one in yeah. Jurassic World <laughs> 20 years from now. But yeah, it, it serves zero purpose besides just cranking the effects into people's ears and making a quick buck. Yeah, it's a cash grab. It's, yeah. it's a promotional yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. Best forgotten. Um, Queen Latifah must have been just coming up at the time. 1990? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So she was like just starting to make a name for herself. So it's probably like, hey, you want to rap over this David Bowie song? Okay. What's yeah. it called? Fame? Fame, huh? Wait a minute. In other words, fame? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, 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 but, I, don't, I don't want to dig into Queen Latifah because she's great. Uh, but man, it's just, uh, oh, it's bad. It's just bad. I'm not sure she never wants to hear about this. If you are Queen Latifah and you're... Oh, if Queen Latifah wants to come on and tell me I'm terrible, she can absolutely do that. <laughs> She's literal royalty. Fame. Fame. So, yeah, they brought it back out in the Earthling tour, too, and uh, which was a weird situation because Bowie was trying to do this half-rock, half-dance set, and he made the mistake of making the rock half first early on in the tour and then having the dance set after the rock set is done. Yeah. So he's giving equal time to, to both styles. And then the first gig, the audience started leaving as, as they were doing the drum and <laughs> bass part. But he, 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 he was smart. He swapped it after yeah, that. After that, it was move. the dance set. And then people complained because they had to wait like an hour for <laughs> through all this weird electronic stuff before they could get to the proper music. Um, but... But they, they came up with this this sort of riff on... It was like an instrumental jam on fame. And it, uh, I don't know, it kind of samples the song. Kind yeah. Of, uh, it's, uh, the song. it's a loose association. It hits some of the same notes. Yeah. And I mean that literally. It's just like some of the same notes are in the song. Yeah. And occasionally you hear, is it any wonder? And then that's, that's yeah. Yeah. So that was just played live. And then it was, it also came out as a studio recording called Fun a.k.a. also known as Fun House, which was distributed to fans via a CD-ROM. Do you remember mm, those? I do remember those. You could, you could get a CD-ROM in the mail, which would allow you to access Bowie Net <laughs> over your dial-up modem <laughs> and download a song. Oh, um, I wish I could remember what the one was called. I remember getting one of those in the mail. It wasn't a Bowie one. It was like for like, it was like an alternative rock thing. This was so long ago, it was, you had to download an MP2. <laughs> yeah, never really officially released, so we're not going to cover it in our, uh, we won't be doing an episode on Fun or Funhouse. Just, uh, we'll just roll it into here. 
that's probably all that all the discussion it warrants. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty unspectacular. Um, anything else to say about fame? Uh, there's some pretty spectacular live versions on the uh, on the old YouTubes. So there's uh, it wasn't technically live, but um, when he was fortunate enough to go and uh, perform perform quote unquote on Soul Train doing this. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, the rare rare occasion of uh, them reaching out to a white artist. Yeah, which that's like that's if you were are a white person from England who's trying to put out a soul album to actually get like the seal of approval from soul train. Like that's moving beyond just appropriating culture. That's getting the, the, the seal of approval right there. Yeah. He was a fan of, of soul train and he was going to the Apollo when he first came over. So I, I, I say quote unquote live because it was basically, it was just David Bowie lip syncing over the backing track. Yeah. Um, but it's still really cool and honor nonetheless. And there was a, a pretty cool video of when he did it on, uh, on share. Uh, I guess excuse it was after, me. Is after I guess it was after Sunny was no longer on the show or something. It was just just share, the share show. Yeah, yeah, share show. In the video, it's just like a bunch of lights in his head, but it is actual like live music. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a really cool version. I really like that one because the was share like, version. Yeah, I think that's the first time I heard this song. Actually, I think I, I was watching it on VH1 oh. as a youngster. It's a great version. Yeah. It's like just true enough to the original that you kind of stop and think, oh, is this just a lip sync version? Also. But, like, it just strays enough in parts where, like, his voice sounds just off enough in some parts and the guitar sounds just chaotic enough that you, yeah, right. you, you get enough of a difference. Yeah, was he still struggling with the cocaine voice? I'm pretty sure he was still struggling with some cocaine voice, yeah. yeah. And then the versions that they did in the, uh, in the 2000s with the, the band he was touring basically from Earthling on, with mm-hmm. the exception of when he was recording Heathen. I think that's that might be the best version. It yeah. Is, like, well, that's the best band. It is. The, it's, it's We're talking amazing. about... Gail Ann Dorsey, Zach yeah. Alford, Mike Garson, yeah. Robin Clark, Carlos Alomar. Yeah, it's a perfect band. They, they, yeah, it's so tight. And it, and it does kind of like capture that like cynical disco vibe. It just, it's, just, it's heavy, <laughs> but funky. And you know, yeah, it's yeah, great. it's dirty, but um, clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm saving the best for last. The version from uh, the Glass Spider tour, <laughs> which... Just like everything else that we've talked about with videos from that tour, there's lots of really cheesy dancing and very 80s outfits. He introduces his backup dancers, which starts off very normal. Everyone's got human names. And then the very last person he introduces is Spaz Attack. Um, And here's my feelings on dance troops. Um, (laughs) Either... Everyone has a person name or everybody has an effed up kooky name. Not a mixture of the two because <laughs> no one's prepared if it's a mixture of the two. Like, you know, it's going to be like, and now here's Freaky Styly and Spaz Attack and Glenn. Like, <laughs> uniform. It needs to be uniform. I generally believe in coloring outside the line sometimes, but this is not one of those times. Human names or robot names? Pick a lane. <laughs> How do you know his parents didn't name him as a tech? Man, I hope I'm not being accidentally racist right now. <laughs> it's a it's a family name. <laughs> the Westwood Spaz Attacks. Thank you very much. Um. So yeah, you're you're saying that's this is the best version. It's namely maybe because, not because the, of the name thing, or maybe not the best version, but 
the most engaging version on the most different levels. (laughs) All right. All right. That's enough of that. All right. That's enough of fame. Yeah. I guess we should rate fame. Yeah. I mean, it's fame. It's fame. So here, here's the question. Does one rate fame based just on fame or do you weight fame 90 against it? Did fame 90, did the sequel ruin the original? The sequel kind of ruined the original a little bit. I mean, it's still a masterpiece. It's not like, it's not like Raiders of the Lost Ark is now terrible because Kingdom of the Crystal Skull exists. Like right. You just have to appreciate one independent of the other. So, um, so I'll say fame gets five, um, five limos. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do five limos. Uh, I will give fame 90, uh, one Chevelle. Okay. So yeah. So not combining the two. Just not like... co- yeah. I'm not going to hold fame 90 against fame. Okay. In other words, fame. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's a great song. It's a great song. It's, it's an all timer. Um, it's a good song. I'd give it four, four limos, four limos. Yeah. It's not, it's just not a five. It's not quite a five for me. Um, trying to divorce it from like, it's how, how well known it is, how big of a single it was, how, how everybody knows this song by David Bowie. I mean, it's a good song. Um, and I might skip to it, um, on a given day, but not if I have other David Bowie songs I could skip to. I might put this, it's just this sort of lower down in the list than the top. Still pretty high. Yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to justify this to you. <laughs> it's my decision. Four. Four limos. That's a fair number of limos. That's, more a fair, limos that's than still I have. a good, yeah. That's still a lot of limos. One Chevelle. It's one more Chevelle than I have to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to rate fame. It's just, fame, fame 90. It's a zero. It's just, no. yeah. It's just there. It's best to be forgotten. In the I'm glad you tried. I'm glad, I'm glad you gave it a chance. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it only gets one because it, can, it still contains trace elements of fame. <laughs> <laughs> um,. So that's it. That's our 15 minutes of fame. That's our 15. Yeah. I'll I call that, that 15 minutes. <laughs> something, something like that. And once it's edited down, it'll be about That's our minutes. one hour, 15 <laughs> minutes of fame. Um, what happens after fame? Uh, well, besides cocaine voice. This, this here has been a pretty, a pretty satisfactory journey. It has been. One would say you reach a level of fame after a pretty decent journey. Kind of like that, uh, that Coolio song. Yeah. Come along. <laughs> right on a <laughs> satisfactory journey. The first draft didn't go anywhere. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, a fantastic voyage. Fantastic voyage. Is how that came out better. Uh, and that's, in fact, the next song we're going to be covering. Not the Coolio song, but the David Bowie version. That's next time on For Me to Ziggy. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us. Uh, join in the conversation on the Facebook page and on the Twitters. You can find us at From Me to Ziggy on all, both of those platforms. And uh, you can email us, podcast at frommetaziggy.com. Let me try that again. Podcast at frommetaziggy.com. That's easy to say. And uh, what else? Is there something else we usually do? Uh, I feel like there is, but um, I can't think of it. Until, until next time. Um. Oh man, I had something clever and I lost it. I should have written it down like 10 minutes ago when it popped into my head. <laughs> so I guess we're just going to have to say goodbye. Or in other words, bye. <laughs>
I think we've still got it. Yeah. I think it might have even gotten a little better. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, it might have us. <laughs> in, in, in Russia, it have you. 